Welcome to Under 30, the podcast series by the Youth Partnership that brings the research results, explores trends in young people's lives and themes relevant for youth policy and practice. The COVID-19 pandemic and all measures that were implemented by the states to control the spread of the coronavirus had a huge impact on young people's lives and the youth services. The Youth Partnership developed a hub on its website to highlight the research and knowledge gathering initiatives that look at the two sides of the pandemic impact, challenges for the youth sector and uh, positive initiatives. Today we are talking with two researchers involved in the hub, Anna Lavitari and Manfred Tentner, about the impact of the pandemic on youth services and explore the actions to be taken by youth work, youth research and youth policy to best deal with the consequences of the pandemic related to youth services. My name is Dariusz Grzemny and I'm joined by Lana Pasic from the Youth Partnership in this episode. Enjoy listening. A few weeks ago, a big number of youth organizations in the UK published an open letter warning that youth services are on the brink of collapse. Many of these organizations claim that they will not be able to survive and will need to be closed or limited by March 2021. And some time ago, we actually had Lasse Surala on our podcast who described what happened in Finland during the pandemic. While the formal education system adopted quickly and distance learning was considered a success, there were some 10% of young people, especially from marginalized groups who were never reached. And they dropped out actually from the educational system. Many also dropped out from youth work services. However, Finland did not close youth services during the second lockdown and it was a lesson learned from the first lockdown. What is more, the pandemic resulted in increased creativity from the youth sector, the development of innovative ideas, especially related to digital youth work. So we have this positive and negative impact of of the pandemic. So I was wondering from your research, from the research that was done by the partnership, what areas of youth services were impacted by COVID-19? In reality, all areas of youth work were strongly impacted of, of COVID-19. It was impacted in different ways. Yeah, So in some cases, we had state-run youth services that continued to offer the services. But in the end, the face-to-face contacts could not take place. And in others, for NGOs, we had in some cases, complete lockdowns where everything had to be postponed or completely stopped in the first wave. And I think it was really, it affected all brands of of youth work. You cannot say there was one not affected at all. Thank you. And from the national and transnational research that was made, what kind of picture do we get? So what can you say about the COVID-19 impact and the responses with regard to, to youth services? Anna? So we know that uh, so far, the most covered areas by research on youth, the youth sector and the impact of COVID-19 on these were on uh, education, employment, mental health and well-being of young people, and also, of course, digitalization. We also had a lot of research on other transversal issues such as social inclusion and youth participation, but 
I would say, to much less extent. And research says that when it comes to youth services in all these areas, as Manfred said, we know that they have been all dramatically affected. So already precarious youth became even more precarious, either losing their jobs or seeing their working conditions deteriorating. Young adults also have experienced higher levels of distress and anxiety compared to other age groups. This is what research is saying. And I think that in some ways also youth organizations and uh, youth work have been cut off from participating in processes of uh, deliberation and decision making. I think that one of the most important messages is therefore to understand that, as you also were mentioning, the challenges faced by vulnerable and at-risk young people, marginalized groups such as migrants, homeless youth and LGBTI youth have been exacerbated by this crisis much more. And we need to know exactly what these inequalities, what these challenges are. We also need to know whether new inequalities are emerging and how are they linked to pre-existing ones. And finally, I would also say that, of course, uh, as I mentioned, digitalization has obviously become even more than before the cornerstone of every research agenda on youth. But once again, what research is saying is that not all young people had equal access to youth services, to online education and activities. The digital divide is one of the most significant findings that come out from this research and that impact, of course, the life of young people themselves, but also how the youth sector operates uh, itself. And if I come back on that, I would say that the response was really trying to keep the contact going. That was the most important thing. Yeah. And there were different approaches. So outreach youth work, mobile youth work was going out because they were aware that not all the young people were just sitting at home, especially those young people that are vulnerable groups that are uh, limited to small spaces, they had to go out. And some outreach youth work offers were, after a first shock, really trying to keep their services going as they were. But many others had to, to go online. But then after a short time, they realized they did not reach everybody with online offers alone. So they had to go back to very conservative approaches. Yeah, They were calling people on the phone really talking to them on the telephone, really impressive. Uh, I heard of, of things where people were writing letters to invite young people to get to the phone numbers because you don't reach these young people that did not have contact with you before already. So on one hand is this reliance on, on technology and on the other hand, coming back to this very traditional ways of communication that actually in such situation can really work very well. So you mentioned some of the practices, Manfred. Did you get from the research any other practices uh, that were developed by, by youth organizations or youth service to actually challenge the, the problems, something that had actually came out from the pandemic and all the, let's say, consequences of it? I think we, we have to differentiate between the, the, the drive to stay in contact and to do the things that they were always doing yeah, as, as they were planned and then just, just say, okay, let's do it online. 
Yeah, and there were really great solutions offered for that. Uh, I heard from some scouts that were doing campfires online, even with sing-alongs online. You had hiking adventures to do. So this is really something that is really great. So here we, we see a lot of, of, of creative solutions. Yeah, But then on the other side, people realized not only we in the youth work field, also the young people are living in a different time now. They have different challenges and they, we have to approach them in a different way. And this is something that they really had to react on and they, they came up with, with new ideas, really trying to develop new offers, find new ways to communicate over games with people that are not gamers. Yeah or building an, an online youth center together, sometimes even to reach out to new target groups. That also happened, and it was successful. So we do see quite some good examples as well. Lana, you wanted to add something? Yes. Uh, so thank you, Manfred. I actually wanted to follow up on something that both Manfred and Anna mentioned, and it is this uh, kind of uh, these new changes that are showing us that yes, there are new ways uh, in which the the youth sector can work, but also new contexts in which young people function. But Anna also mentioned that this means that there are new uh, types of inequalities that are emerging and that we are seeing now. And besides, for the digital divide. What are some of the other inequalities that we should be thinking about now, both in terms of the research about young people, but also in terms of youth policy and youth work? I would say it's not an easy question because uh, regarding like new inequalities, I think this is exactly the purpose of research right now is trying to find out. And while not forgetting the existing ones, I mentioned the digital divide, but of course, even if you think about long-standing inequalities such as gender inequalities, this is something that, of course, the impact on, on gender was huge and different among young people, youth populations. I also wanted to mention on this that maybe an important responsibility of research in order to find out about these inequalities is to try to get concretely young people involved as researchers, as knowledge providers, knowledge producers. And this can be done through, for instance, participatory action research processes that were also mentioned by the declaration adopted uh, at, the, at the convention. Regarding the differences, I would additionally point out that we see also things that it's not about the, the technical skills or the digital skills only. It is also about accessibility uh, of the technical gadgets. We know it anyway, yeah. But even if we say everybody nowadays has somehow access to digital uh, infrastructure, it does not imply that in all the families, everybody does have all the time access to everything they need. Sometimes it's one computer with quite a weak internet connection. So we do have classical socioeconomic differences that are really widening. Now, we do have the digital divide. We did find problems about different approaches to the labor market, I would say it in that way, or different reaction of the labor market to different generations of young people and to older adults already. 
So the first one losing their jobs were definitely the students that were working part-time. But then on the second road, you had the younger people losing their jobs and losing also opportunities to develop uh, further skills. And in some countries, I really do fear that we were creating, we as societies were creating generational gaps that were somehow really widened because we were supporting adults, but the young ones will have to find their way back into the labor market. And that's going to be a big challenge for the next years. If I may follow up on that, Manfred, I think in one of the last post podcasts we did, it, it was the whole question of intergenerational inequality, as well as to what extent are young people not blamed for the pandemic, but uh, maybe to a certain extent uh, labeled as the spreaders of the virus and asked to take on re responsibility for this a bit more. But when it comes to certain policies regarding their socioeconomic well-being or protection, this has not really been the priority as much. What does this mean for the youth policy and the way they address uh, the issues regarding the employment and socioeconomic well-being of young people? Personally, I think it's really a, a challenge for youth policymakers. They have to be really strong uh, because they have to more or less fight for the rights of the young people now because everybody claims they need support. It's the, in the first case, it's the economy. The second part would be then the health system by, I'm, I'm talking here about money wise funding. Yeah. And then we have the clear education field and formal education field that is, it became obvious that in many countries we do have a lot to, to do and to support schools and to develop infrastructure in the formal system. Yeah. And I really fear that use policy is seen again as something that comes when everything else is tackled. So we need loud use policymakers. We need loud young people being involved in use policymaking. I wanted to add something concerning what Lana mentioned before regarding blaming somehow youth of being spreader of the, the virus and what concerns also dissemination, delivering information about the crisis. And this is an important topic that is now emerging in research as well. So research about how young people have been informed during the pandemic and whether this kind of information was actually helpful or not for them. And the evidence we have right now is showing that young people were actually traumatized by the way in which information was imposed on them. It didn't help them to cope with the situation whatsoever. So I think it's also another area of research, but it's also an area when it comes to youth counseling and youth work to try to um, equip young people, help them to develop soft skills, life skills, like, such as resilience, social emotional skills that they need to, to cope with, with the crisis and its uh, aftermath. Thank you. I would like to come back to some of the points. You were talking a little bit about mental health. There's a lot of research nowadays talking about what impact on mental health for young people that the COVID-19 and all the lockdowns had. Also, we heard during the European Youth Worker Convention 
And in the presentation of the declaration, COVID-19 was presented as one of the wicked witches that actually impacted very badly youth services across uh, Europe. And uh, you can read in the declaration that mental health promotion should be seen as a crucial point in youth work and that also that youth policymakers should engage in a constructive dialogue with young people and youth workers to create more resilient youth work structures grounded in evidence-informed innovation principles encompassing long-term thinking, reflexivity and strategy-based youth work. How can youth research actually support this? I think that youth research on, on youth in this sense should support, of course, should be essential in suggesting measures because the declaration, as you mentioned, has very clear measures when it comes to boosting youth research in, in this area and beyond. I would say, though, that beyond suggesting what what can be done in terms of actions and measures. We also have to acknowledge that there is some research already taking place, such as, for instance, the, the DG EAC on youth work in the European Union, focusing on the needs of youth, which already puts some light on youth services and in which direction they should be developed. And I think the direction is to have some sort of... Uh, comprehensive and systematic mapping of the needs, the circumstances specific at the local and national levels, but specifically, I would say, at the local level. And we need uh, research for that. We need research that complement big survey data with more maybe qualitative approaches, such as I mentioned before. And again, some agencies in Europe are already making efforts to include uh, young people, especially as researchers in these processes. And I think overall it should come from young people and it should be young people telling what they need and the research need to be able to grasp and accommodate that. Can I add to that? That's I agree completely. We need more knowledge about what did really happen to the young persons. Who needs what? Yeah, But we should also not forget that we then have to transfer and translate this information that uh, youth research can gather into youth work practice. It is not just that we say, okay, now we know what they need and the youth workers should just do. Because uh, it is it is overwhelming for youth workers that are offering normally football and maybe computer games. I'm, I'm exaggerating here, yeah. But if they should now take care of mental health problems of young persons, what I imply is we need also to develop further education offers. We need support structures for youth workers. And not just ask them, okay, you've got the results from the research, now do something. This is really unfair to both, to the youth workers and to the young people. What I'm hearing from Manfred is, I guess, that there's a need for a bit more collaboration and cooperation between the researchers and youth workers, and of course, including young people in that uh, dialogue to see what are some of the, the ways in which the youth field can actually address uh, the consequences of this crisis. But then again, also not forget the other side of the triangle or the pyramid, because this also needs to involve the policy 
policymakers in order to make sure that there is an adequate backing of these new strategies uh, and ideas so that they can be implemented. If I can add something, there's a lot of good practices as well when it comes to the involvement of, of policymakers uh, and also on the European level. Take the Erasmus Plus, it was really disrupted by the pandemic. All traveling was stopped, the, the meetings had to be cancelled, uh, and then the Erasmus Plus and the Commission showed a lot of flexibility in helping the organizations and adapting to the circumstances. A lot of budget could be shifted to another activities and some of the projects could be adapted and so on. And it also happened in local level. So there was a lot of flexibility. We can imagine that all the problems will not disappear when the vaccine appears. No, I think that we will feel the consequences for a long time. I mean, and, and we probably will have to deal with many of them. If you have any ideas, what should be done now in order to minimize these consequences, these bad negative consequences or the problems that appeared on different levels? Surprisingly enough, what youth organizations and youth workers are asking for is recognition. What a surprise. And they should be recognized for their work as well in times of crisis, the way they dealt with crisis. And it should be highlighted and other, I would even say other institutions, whole institutional sectors could really learn from the very strong response that came from single people inside the, the community of youth workers. And this is the important issue that should be done now to, but Be, be very clear about that. I'm not asking for more applause for another group of, of people working in the social field. I'm asking for real recognition and also a recognition in neoliberal capitalistic times is also seen in funding. So please, no applause for youth workers, but really sustainable funding. If I may add something, maybe more in terms of research too, what I think should be done now. And I know it might sound counterintuitive, but now we need to focus also kind of on the long-term impact in research in order to keep track of it. I think this is the first aspect that is fundamental. And second, we know that uh, within the next uh, program cycle on peer learning, for instance, member states are, are supposed, are going to learn from each other's. So therefore, there is this comparative uh, practice and uh, research that is also very important, which also implies uh, cooperation among different actors, such as uh, the one that Lana and Manfred uh, mentioned before. And also, Derek, you mentioned best practices. These are already existing databases with best practices to share mm, knowledge, to raise awareness about uh, who is doing what. And I think it is also a little bit the role of the Knowledge Hub on, on the impact uh, of COVID-19 on the youth sector that I'm part of. Can I add one more thing? I, I first said, have a look at what youth work did. Maybe also have a close look at what young people did. It is also something that it might not be the, the most important thing, but sometimes to show that young people were really involved and in voluntary activities when the crisis started yeah and to make it clear to the 
wider public that young people are really important actors, not for themselves only, but for the whole society. And they should not be seen as just receivers of the education field. And we are not talking only about how to develop the school and education field, but really to show respect and support them in what they wanted to do. Yeah. And coming back to the mental health issues, I think that those young people that really suffered, uh, and there are some that really suffered in times of lockdown, especially of the loss of co social contacts, and they really need now support. And this is something that has to be done now, and I don't know who can really provide this support because it's more than just uh, a youth worker can do. Yeah, thank you. Uh, Anna, you mentioned the hub, uh, the, the, the hub that you can find on the Youth Partnership website. So we have Lana here. Lana, what's going to happen on this hub now? How do you plan to develop it, keep it? What's going to be there? So we started the hub earlier this year, actually, the thinking around it started already in April, May, when we had our first reflection meetings with different stakeholders on what the youth field needs, actually, from the youth partnership within our think tank function. And then we, we worked with a number of researchers on basically gathering knowledge and data on the immediate impact of COVID on, on young people and on the youth field. And Anna and Manfred are part of the, the two teams of researchers that are working with us on this. So far, we ran questionnaires to the equip correspondents. We also gathered practices. We gathered data uh, from the field, the existing reports, the existing research that has been published. And we have produced uh, several briefings for uh, different audiences with some of the main findings. But all of this, as well, again, is on the immediate impact of COVID. But as Anna mentioned, mentioned already, this is not where it ends in terms of how young people are going to cope with the situation and how the sector will cope with it. We know that for young people, not only the loss of social contact, but also a complete change of the social setting, the change of life, the change of functioning, but also hearing every day the number of people who have died or who have been infected is not is not well for their mental health, not, is not well for their well-being. And and this is also then coupled with the lack of opportunities for education, for professional development, the lack of contact, the family contact, socioeconomic context. So all of this uh, needs to be taken account in the in the long term. And I think one of the main things that we will see from COVID and the way it's impacting on young people is the transitions of young people from different from different life phases. So we plan to continue working on the hub, basically exploring further what knowledge exists on the long term or I think we can now say medium-term impact, actually, in the coming year. So we plan to continue working with the researchers on gathering this knowledge and also producing the briefings and publications. But we also hope to start the work on the youth knowledge book focused on the transitions and the impact of COVID-19 on youth transitions so that we can actually document and gather some of these practices coming from different countries and from the field and then 
and then we see how, what we actually can do with them in, in the long term as well. Because as I said, yes, we have short term, we will have medium term, but long term impact is still to be seen in the future. Thank you for this conversation. I hope we will see very soon new research coming to support youth work to deal with the negative impact of the pandemic on young people and youth services. In the notes to this podcast, you will find a link to the hub developed by the Youth Partnership on COVID-19. That's all for today, and we hope you are enjoying our podcast. So be ready for the next episode that will be online still this year.